You're listening to Deep Breaths, updates from CHEST on ReachMD. This series is produced in partnership with the American College of CHEST Physicians. Today's podcast will focus on unmet needs in uncontrolled asthma. This podcast is not intended to offer recommendations for administering GlaxoSmithKline products in a manner inconsistent with approved labeling. In order for GlaxoSmithKline to monitor the safety of our products, we encourage healthcare professionals to report adverse events or suspected overdoses to the company at 888-825-5249. And here is your host, Dr. Xavier Soler, who is an Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of California, San Diego, and a respiratory medical expert in U.S. medical affairs at GlaxoSmithKline. Even with a timely diagnosis of asthma and good adherence to standard therapy, a significant number of patients remain symptomatic or uncontrolled while being treated. It is important to recognize those patients because of the potential severe consequences impacting their quality of life or even death. Currently, there is a lack of awareness of uncontrolled or symptomatic patients, but how and why does this happen? And what else can we offer our patients to turn things around when it does? Welcome to Deep Breaths. Updates from CHEST on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Xavier Soler, and joining me today is Dr. Nick Hanania, Associate Professor of Pulmonary Medicine and Director of the Airway Clinical Research Center at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. Together, we'll be discussing the main needs of patients with uncontrolled asthma. Dr. Hanania, welcome to the program. Thanks, Dr. Soler, for having me. It's a pleasure. Just to start us off, can you give us a brief snapshot on how effective standard therapies within health corticosteroids, ACS, and long-acting beta-agonies, LAVAs, have been for asthma patients? Well, you know, Zavi, that about a quarter of patients with asthma are estimated to be receiving inhaled steroid long-acting beta-agonist therapy in combination. We have several of those available. And in fact, when you look at the GINA step four and five, these are the patients who are on ICS lava, almost 25% of the total asthmatics fall in this category. But about 20 to 30%, about a quarter of those patients remain uncontrolled despite the fact that they are taking, or at least we know they are on these agents. Among those, about 3 to 5% have severe asthma. So it is an unmet need where we have good drugs, but they still see patients who continue to be uncontrolled despite being prescribed these agents. So with that being said, what are the factors into this uncontrolled asthma despite being on these ICS, the inhaled corticosteroids, and long-acting beta-agonist therapy? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm glad, Zavi, you're bringing this up because one thing I want my colleagues who are listening to understand that asthma is a bit complex. The fact that the patients who are prescribed ICS lava does not, first of all, mean they have asthma, but also doesn't mean that they're taking the drug or if they're taking it correctly. There's a checklist, which I call a checklist that one has to go through. One is, am I dealing with an asthmatic? Because the fact that the patient is prescribed ICS lava does not automatically make him or her an asthma patient. So we have to confirm the diagnosis. 
and also rule out mimickers of the diagnosis or other diagnoses that may actually complicate the course of the disease. Second is, is the patient taking their inhaler? I mean, it's very well known in any chronic disease, but particularly in asthma, that adherence problem exists, both intentional and non-intentional. Patients may forget to take their inhalers, but some patients are worried about it. They don't believe that the drug is helping, so they intentionally don't take it. A third, a very important step is to make sure the patient is taking the inhaler correctly. Of course, there are other issues. Uh, one is uh, exposure to triggers and continuous comorbidities like GERD and upper airway disease, rhinitis, sinusitis, psychosocial issues. All these have to be treated to achieve control. It's not enough to give the drug and expect the patient to get better. So we have to minimize triggers. Now, having looked at all these, if the patient is adherent, the morbidities and triggers are dealt with, the, the, he or she knows how to use the inhaler device, and it's confirmed asthma, and they still are uncontrolled. That's when you start scratching your head and saying, okay, what else can I offer them? Yeah, I think that uh, what you said is extremely important because reviewing the managing cycle to be sure that the patients are taking the medications, the alternate uh, diagnosis, the patient owning the disease and owning the treatment and being sure that he is engaged uh, on the conversation is extremely important for success and then the education to them. So when you have that in the clinics, in, in your environment, there is any other treatment strategies available for patients with uncontrolled asthma? Of course. The nice thing about it is that over the last few years, we've had a plethora of new medications for asthma and, and different delivery systems. Obviously, inhaled steroids remain the backbone in treatment of uncontrolled disease. So if the patient is taking the, their inhaled steroid, you might want to reassess the dose and see if the increasing the dose may be helpful. Sometimes you would double up the inhaled steroid dose. It may not work all the time, and there are pros and cons of doing this. Obviously, exposure to steroids uh, can have systemic effects over time, but that's one thing you can look at. The other option is adding other therapies on top of the inhaled steroid, and we all agree inhaled steroids should be there as a platform. Adding a leukotriene modifier, an oral agent, especially if they have upper airway disease may be helpful in some patients with asthma, not in all. Adding another bronchodilator and a long-acting antimuscarinic agent as an add-on in GINA step 4 and 5 in addition to ICS-LABA. Obviously, there are others. If the patients continue to have symptoms, then you need to phenotype them and decide, do I need a biologic? And that's another step forward where it's a big step, but it is an important one. If a patient continues to have severe disease, then one of the biologics available, if he or she is a candidate, can be entertained. And then there are other options, maybe not for everyone, but like using chronic azithromycin therapy in those with recurrent exacerbation, and then bronchoscopic approach which is like bronchial thermoplasty. Obviously, we sometimes seek advice from our allergy colleagues. Looking at allergen desensitization is something that can be helpful in patients with significant upper airway disease, and that may actually help control the asthma in some patients. So there are options there, you know, and it's not just a magic bullet. Sometimes it's a trial and, and see how the patient responds to these agents. And sometimes more than one option can be used at the same time. For those joining us, this is Deep Breaths, updates from CHEST on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Xavier Soler, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Nick Hanania about improving our recognition and treatment approaches for uncontrolled asthma. So, Nick, you just mentioned some additional therapies available to help these patients. 
Let us focus to long-acting muscarinic agent for a moment, since it is a relatively new player in the therapeutic landscape. What do you need to know about this treatment? Well, Zavi, you know, the bronchodilators are very important in managing asthma. We know that short-acting agents like beta agonists are used for rescue, and long-acting beta agonists now have been used for a while now as add-on therapies to inhale steroid. But more recently, we've gone back to looking at anticholinergic agents, so, but particularly theotropium bromide, which was tested in large clinical trials in asthma as add-on therapy. Now, the importance of anticholinergics in general is actually historic. If you remember, anticholinergics were first used for treatment of asthma many, many years ago, were actually smoked in cigarettes that contain atropine leaves. Atropine was used many, many years ago, but obviously it's not the best. More recently, the role of anticholinergic in asthma has emerged, and these agents have been used for many years in COPD. And partly because they target smooth muscle and they can relax smooth muscle. The pathophysiology of asthma is complex. It's not just airway inflammation, but bronchoconstriction is important. And smooth muscles are controlled by both the beta-2 receptor, and so that's why beta-2 agonists work, but also the muscarinic receptors and, uh, and anticholinergic blocks the M3 receptor on the smooth muscle. So it does cause bronchodilation, and thus as add-on to ICS LABA, it may have a beneficial effect based on clinical trials, both on improving lung function and reducing exacerbation. So it is not something new in a way historically, but certainly the role of long-acting antimuscarinic agents is emerging right now in asthma. They may have other roles, such as effect on mucociliary clearance, but that needs to be further evaluated. Currently, we believe the main role is the bronchodilation. The biggest homework we have as clinicians is to decide, okay, who would respond to one or the other bronchodilator? And when we add bronchodilators, of course, both groups can be used together, but also there may be some subgroup of patients that may respond more to an anticholinergic agent versus another group that would respond to a beta agonist. And I think that needs to be worked up in future studies. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So before we close, Nick, let's look ahead to some of the developments in the research arena. Is there anything up and coming that you are excited about that can help address our current needs? I think as a clinician and a researcher, I would like to identify subgroups who would best benefit from an anticholinergic agent as an add-on therapy. Is it all asthmatics? As we know, asthma does not have one face and there are multiple phenotypes and, and even endotypes. And these are bronchodilators, so they may work in in all phenotypes, but we don't know. I, I, think, I think that's a big, important question. I like to, to have a more personalized approach to therapy in asthma, and certainly I'd like to use the, the best drug for the patient who would respond. The other thing is we want long-term studies with anticholinergics in asthma and see if there is an effect on decline lung function. That's something that uh, we know asthmatics have, whether they smoke or whether they don't, uh, the, the lung function declines with time. And we have no idea what happens if they are treated with a long-acting anticholinergic like theotropium. And eventually, we would like to see the, the role or the effect of, of, of combination therapies. Uh, is there a beneficial effect when you combine more than one group of bronchodilator in these patients? with an inhaled corticosteroids, which is the backbone of therapy. I think these are some of the things that I'm looking forward to, to seeing or at least studying in the future. 
so that we can have a more precise approach for uh, this problem. Thank you very much, Nick, for giving us where we are going with the addressing the current needs for uncontrolled or difficult to control asthma. So clearly, these are exciting directions to look forward to. But for now, I want just to thank you very much, uh, my guest, Dr. Nick Hanania, for joining me today. Dr. Hanania, it was a great having you on the program. Dr. Soler, it was great to chat with you. Thank you for having me. This was Deep Breaths, Updates from Chest produced in partnership with the American College of Chest Physicians. To access other episodes of this series, visit ReachMD.com slash chest, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.